Amen. Right? And all God's people said. Amen. That's right. Thank you, choir, for that wonderful message and song today. It stirred the heart. Well, um, I've had a, a, a wonderful guest in my home overnight and for the next day or two, and that's my mama. She's with us today. And uh, we've, uh, we've done a lot of listening. Haven't we, mama? Well, most of us have been listening. Mom, mom loved to talk. So I've been real thirsty from just listening so much uh, today. No, I got my gift of chatter from her. And so uh, we're, we're thankful. She's had quite a journey in the last uh, couple of years with her health and so forth. And hasn't been able really to uh, get about as well as she used to. But in the last many months, she's really come back strong. And we're thankful in every way. So, Mom, good to have you with us today. Along with, along with the rest of us. Well, our text today is Mark chapter 14. Mark 14. And we'll begin reading, say, in verse 53. So if you have your copy of God's Word with you, uh, there's a Bible there in the pew before you. We're going to be uh, looking, we're going to be sticking with the Scriptures today um, as, we, as we preach through. But um, I notice some of you have got Scriptures on your phones now, so it's very difficult now to tell what you're doing. You know, you got that phone out and you're, you're looking at it. And I, for all I know, you know, you're playing Pac-Man or whatever y'all play now. There. I don't want to. Don't want to give you any ideas. Mark chapter 14, 53 through 65. They took Jesus to the high priest and the chief priest. Elders and teachers of the law came together. So this is occurring now on the very night before the day of Jesus' death. And already he has been with his disciples in that last supper. He has been in the garden of Gethsemane praying. And the arrest has taken place. He has been arrested at the betrayal of Judas. And they have taken him now in the nighttime, to a trial before the Sanhedrin, which was the, Jewish, uh, was the Jewish court system. And it says, Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And there he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple, and in three days will build another, not made by man. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you going to answer? What is the testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. 
The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him, and struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. So this Sunday and the next two Sundays, we're going to be focusing on the path of Jesus to the cross. And then the first day of the first Sunday of, of April will be Easter, and we'll be looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So now we're looking at this night leading up to the to the crucifixion of Jesus. And so I want you to listen at this very important story. You know, there's no one really who has a, affected mankind like this one person, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Nobody. That became more and more in my mind in the past couple of weeks when I've been observing uh, the um, um, story of Billy Graham as it's been presented in all kinds of venues. And realizing how, how impactful was Billy Graham's life. And I tried to think about other great people and the impact of their life in particular. And there have been many, many wonderfully great people. But I couldn't think of anybody who actually had gone around the world to practically every nation or in somehow his message has been given to every, man, every nation. And he has spoke either through person or through television or, or videos or whatever. He has spoken to the masses across in these, these decades of his ministry. And I couldn't think of another living soul that I'd ever heard of who basically had somehow affected and impacted so many lives except for Jesus Christ. There is a story about Billy Graham when he was uh, arriving by plane from Charlotte and there was a limousine there to, to take him home. And as he prepared to get in the limo, he spoke to the driver and he said, you know, I've, I've ridden in the back of many of these limos, he said, but I've never driven one. And the driver said, no problem, you have at it. The driver got in the back seat. Billy Graham is driving down the road, and uh, this long limo was just hurling down the road. The speed limit was 55, and he was going about 70. Some of you remember when Billy Graham was, was uh, standing by a speed limit sign, and it was said 55, and he said, this is the law. So I don't know if this occurred before that. I don't know. Patrolman pulled him over. He rolled down that dark glass and the patrolman immediately knew who he was. And so he said, just a moment, let me go back. And he went back and got on his, called his superior, his supervisor. He said, I know sometimes when we stop people, you know, we give certain courtesies. I don't know that that's true, by the way. That, that could be completely false. And I'm not going to ask our patrolman, you know, that's the truth at all of that. I probably should have asked that. Well, the supervisor said, well, who is it? Is it the governor? Is it, you know, somebody very important? Is it the president? 
He said, no, he's even more important than that. And the supervisor finally asked, well, who is it? And the trooper, young guy, said, uh, I think it's Billy Graham. He, he said, and he's the chauffeur. So I'm thinking in the back seat is Jesus. <laughs> so when we think about Dr. Graham's life, and of course his life was about testifying to Jesus Christ, the love of Christ, and how salvation is found through the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus. And you think about Jesus, who really never moved about this world hardly at all. He was located just in a small area. If you look at Israel, it's, you know, it's not very big. And he didn't even get to all corners of Israel. And how insignificant his life may have appeared, and yet no one, absolutely no one, has impacted more lives than Jesus. And the way of his path was so humble and so filled with what we might think would contradict great people, including his death. And so we're going to pick up his story here in this moment of trial. He's been arrested. Jesus already knows. He's focused on the cross. He knows where he's going. He knows where he's headed. He has consented to follow the Father's will in this. He knows that there's a clamoring for him to be crucified. He knows what's happening. So now he comes into this courtroom. These are the most dignified leaders, really, in the land of the, of the Israelite people. And so he is there, and, and it's what's called the Sanhedrin. And uh, there were about 70 members in the Sanhedrin, and they needed at least 36 to be there to form a quorum. So I don't know that every one of them made it, but they had enough to make a decision. They'd been called together, and who knows, maybe it was a, maybe it was a packed jury, a stacked jury. And so these are made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, the high priest, the priesthood. And so there's, there's a lot of really important people. And Jesus is in the midst of them. And outside, Peter's, Peter is out there, his disciple, outside warming himself by the fire. That's another story out there. And this trial proceeds really in two stages. There's the testimony of the witnesses. And then there's the direct questioning by the high priest. And so just bear with me. We're going to look at the scriptures this morning. And I want us to think about our Savior and the pathway that he took Finally, to the cross. And so, as you look at this trial, you can look at the, at the first few verses there. It says the chief priests, the whole Sanhedrin, were looking for evidence against Jesus. They were looking for evidence so they could put him to death. And, and they did not find any. And many testified falsely against him. And their statements didn't agree with each other. This is, this is one of those trials that's going to be, you know, a sham. Some didn't... It says some stood up and gave this false testimony about him. I'll destroy this temple, man-made temple. In three days we'll build another, not made, with man, not made by man. Even these testimonies didn't agree, it says. And so uh, Mark records uh, 
how the chief priests were looking for testimony to determine a way to put Jesus down. And this had been discussed throughout Jesus' ministry. This was somebody who, who threatened the power structures or somehow or another threatened the leadership, the egos, or whatever it was among so many of the leaders there in that land because he preached to the people so plainly. He went, he went directly uh, and spoke to them with such a, a, a different kind of authority than they'd ever heard. And he spoke about God as one who knew the heart of God. And so it, it captured the people's hearts. And then he was healing as well. And these miracles were attending alongside. And so as this was happening, it was just a growing momentum happening. And, and the people who were trying to keep things the same were being, were being uh, sort of skirted to the sidelines. And so they were devising ways to capture Jesus and put Him to death. Now I'm... I'm kind of one of these guys that likes to watch westerns. I like old westerns, you know. They don't even have to be good westerns, you know. It's a, it's a horse, a gun, and a girl. I guess that's what the, you know, a cowboy has. And so, but very often in these westerns, you know, they'll catch somebody's been wrestling or something, and they'll promise they're going to give them a fair trial while they're throwing a rope up over the, up over the limb, you know. And so uh, it's not uncommon, these kinds, of, these kinds of vigilante type trials. And this is what was about. There was already a mind that what was going to happen. It was just a matter of somehow finding a way to bring charges. And so this was actually an illegal trial from the beginning. The fact that they had this thing at night was just, that was against the law, you know. They, they were in the darkness of night. And Jewish law insisted that trials of criminals before the priest be held in the daytime. Second, they met in the wrong place. They were to meet only in a hall set aside for this purpose. Only meetings held there were, were valid. And this meeting was held at the residence of the high priest. And so it's over at the big house uh, of the high priest. And so you can see how Apparently, they're trying to keep this all undercover. Third, the Sanhedrin was prohibited by law from reaching a verdict on the same day the trial was held. So they had to at least sleep on it. Have you ever noticed how a little sleep will help you in a decision? You know, you'll be all anxious and feel impelled to, to do something. Is that a word? You'll feel pressured to do something. What? Compelled? Compelled. Oh, yes. Thank you. I need these helps. Compelled, the decision. And you just sleep on it. And so to make that decision on the night of the trial was just an indication that this whole trial was a farce. It was a frame job. They were framing Jesus. It says they were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. You know. And so they had these false witnesses come up and they were bumbling around and all this conniving and contriving of the testimonies that they had. It just wasn't going well. This trial was not going like it ought to have been going the way it had been planned and contrived to do. And, and one witness would, would get up and, 
talk about an event, another witness would get up and talk about the event, and it was like, you know, there just wasn't any agreement about it. They hadn't even talked to their witnesses long enough. They were rushing this thing through. And so then there was two men who came by with a testimony that, that looked like it could be incriminating. And so they said, you know, they stood up and they gave a testimony against Jesus. And uh, the testimony said that we heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple. And in three days we'll build another not made by man. So they're hearing Jesus say, I'm going to destroy the temple of God. This massive, wonderful temple that had been built. Herod had built this temple. And the this was the sacred place. This is where the holy place was. The holy, most holy place was there. And these men said they heard Jesus say those words. And even their testimony was a little bit, they was not agreeing about it. But Jesus did make a statement like this. He said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. The temple he was speaking of was his body. Destroy this body, and in three days, we'll raise it up. Our Lord will raise it up. And so, they were contriving. They took and sort of made this like a half-truth. You know, half-truths are, they'll make, they'll make uh, uh, sometimes even the whole truth look bad. These half-truths were given, insinuated. Got to be careful. This is the problem with gossip. You know, this is the way that word got somehow scattered around. To mean one thing and then something else. They didn't even agree. And so the frustration level of the high priest was like, okay, <laughs> you know, we've tried everything we can, tr- can try, and we cannot seem to get this man, at some reason, we can execute him. And the deadline for the lynching was coming up. And so he now, the high priest, who was actually, should have been presiding as the judge, became the prosecutor. And he began to question Jesus himself, which was again against the rulings of the way they were to handle things. He acted in that role. He sought to find a way to incriminate Jesus. And so here's this direct questioning. It says in verse 60, The high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is the testimony that these men are bringing against against you? Jesus didn't have to answer. It was not required of him to answer. And he was silent. That's a picture. A long old prophecy that went like this. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And then the priest pulled a little legal trick. And here he put Jesus under oath. Matthew says he did it this way, I adjure you by the living God. And so he put Jesus under oath. 
and forced Jesus to respond to a question that he knew would convict Jesus. And he said in verse 61, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Are you the promised one, the Christ, the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? And Jesus answered that question very truthfully and simply. He said, I am. Now if you think there's never been a place where Jesus said who He was, this is the place. There are other places where also He did. But this was under oath before the high priest. And Jesus answered the the $64,000 question. I am, He said. The Christ. I am the Son of God. And so, uh, uh, this is no doubt about it. He's giving this word to this priest and to this group of leaders, and he's telling them, Yes, this is who I am. And this has been something that people have wondered about about Jesus. In the book of Mark, this is never really spoken of. The people who are healed get the idea. And Jesus will say, now don't tell anybody. And when Jesus would preach and teach, the people would be completely astonished. They would be right, brought right up to the, to the thought, this man is not just a man. This man doesn't teach like a man. He doesn't, he doesn't touch people's lives like any man we've ever known. And so there it is. He's, he's, it's been wondering, who is this man? And now, under oath, Jesus is questioned, and He said, yes, this is who I am. What's been rumored about, talked about, this is who I am, the Christ, the Son of God. We'll see later at the cross itself, when Jesus has breathed His last breath, the centurion will be looking at Him. He's watched the death of Jesus. And when Jesus has given up the Spirit, He said, surely this man is the Son of God. A revelation to His heart. The Holy Spirit, I think, speaking to His life and convincing Him this is who He is. And so, Jesus then, in one breath, in one breath when He was asked, are you the Christ, the Son of God? He says, I am. See verse 62? I am. And then he says, and you, talking to the high priest, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, of God, and coming in the clouds of heaven. And he was informing this high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, of his destiny. We know from the Scriptures that when we die, Believers, all of us, are stepping into eternity. We're, we're being prepared for this moment of the coming again of Jesus. But if we are alive when He comes, or if we have already passed on, we already are now passed into eternity, and we're standing before God, before Jesus, the judge. And He's saying, you're going to see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. He tells Caiaphas, as a judge upon the earth, You're going to see me, he says. 
at this great throne of judgment. The books are going to be opened and all are going to be judged. And he says, now you're the judge and I'm the prisoner. He said, but then you're going to be the prisoner and I'm going to be the judge. And here we're not talking about temporal things, we're talking about eternity. He said, you're going to see the Son of Man. So Jesus knew that the case was now sealed. And Caiaphas, in his outrage and anger, he gave a sign of, uh, of, of this being a blasphemous statement that Jesus was claiming to be God's own Son. And it says he tore his clothes. He said, why do we need any more witnesses? And he asked, you've heard the testimony of blasphemy this man is." This man has called for, what is your verdict? And he put it to this group of leaders there who were now serving as a jury. And it says, they all condemned him as worthy of death. And the restraints that they had had to that point, and I would say the fervor that had been worked up against him, just began to burst loose. And there was hatred and and insult, and jealousy. And it says they began to spit at him. And they blindfolded him. They veiled him. And they struck him with their fists. And they said, now you prophesy. Who is it that hit you? It was the taunting game. And they were were throwing it at Jesus. Again, Isaiah, back in the old days, in chapter 50, verse 6, he said, I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Peter, who was outside cringing and getting ready to deny the Lord with everything that was in him and say, I really don't know him. He saw all of this reaction you see going on. And later in his letter, he said, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. He suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So here's this, here's this gauntlet that Jesus is running now, or walking through on his way to Golgotha. And he's come through this filter, this this dirty filter of condemnation. And the ruling is that he should die. Who's responsible for that? Well, we could say those who were there. And many down through history have blamed that group who was there. Or they might say the Romans who actually put Jesus to death. They did it. But in fact, long before any group like this was ever brought together or thought of, God sent His Son, Jesus. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. And His destiny was the cross. And in some ways, these Sinful people. They represent all of us. Every one of us. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus is passing through the gauntlet 
of judgment for our sins. Not his sins. It's for our sins. And so, the Bible places us in this story. This is the thing about the Bible. I like what Billy Graham said about the Bible. He said, you know, I don't understand all of it. That was such a relief to hear, wasn't it? (laughs) Some of you have been studying the Bible for, you know, how many years? And you're thinking, man, this thing's hard to understand. So it helps us to know that Billy Graham, who had decades of ministry and Bible reading and study, said, you know, I don't understand it all. But this we do understand. That God out of His love has come to save us and forgive us of our sins and redeem us and touch our lives and restore us to Him and His family. And so we're in this story. And this is... This is the sad part of our story, if we're honest. Sometimes we want to compare ourselves to others and say, you know, I'm pretty good as I compare to others. But I tell you what, God knows. He knows your heart. He knows that deep down, as as Jeremiah said, our righteousness, the very best we have, deep down is as filthy rags. So, it's all of us. It's me. It's you. It is for us that Jesus has gone through this passageway of of condemnation, an unrighteous condemnation. And it says that He bore our sins on Himself. And it's us along with them who have a decision to make about Jesus, who have a verdict to give. Theirs was about his whether he should be put to death or not. We have a decision ourselves. Who is this man? That's the question Pilate put to him. And that's the question he clearly answered. I am. I am the Christ, the Son of God. That's who I am. And so all the world in a sense, and this is the uh, interesting thing when you think about the ministry of someone like Billy Graham, but even beyond that, the ministry of missionaries who have been out around this world. You see, Billy Graham hasn't always been the first person to be in these corners of the earth. There have been missionaries down across the centuries. Every generation of people have been witnessed to and shared with about Christ. And so in a true, in a great sense, We are all brought to this verdict about Him. We have to decide about Jesus. Is He the Son of God? Or is He not? And we are faced with the verdict that the Lord, I think, expects of us. What will we say? What do we believe? Where do we put our confidence? Do we believe Him? Or do we not believe Him? Do we believe in Him? Or will we not believe in Him? Will we trust Him as our Savior or will we not trust Him? That's the, really the choices about Jesus Christ. It is a great and grand choice. It's the most important choice we'll ever make in our life. And we'll make a few important choices. This is the one. This is the one that will go with us not only through our life here, 
but through eternity. And I believe that God's watching and He's waiting and He's listening. When His Word comes forth and His Holy Spirit comes to our heart, speaks to our heart, He's waiting for an answer. Will you bow with me just a moment? Father, we just thank You we can uh, hear and read about this story. And God, it's heartbreaking. As we read it, God, we can't imagine that this one, the Bible says, was so gentle he wouldn't even bend to read. This one who was so uh, innocent that, uh, that there were really no charges could be legitimately brought against him. It, it's hard to imagine that he could pass through such as this. And yet, God, when we realize that Jesus is not just a man of his own time, that he's the Son of God, he is eternal. He is God in the flesh. And that his, the things that happen to Him that we read about in this, in this book are not only for them, but they are questions for us. And they are great questions. Here, Lord, is a, is a gospel that's been proclaimed that here Jesus is condemned to die on a cross. And the wise, although they might not have been understood well at that time, certainly are understood now as we think about the impact of Jesus Christ on countless thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions, yeah, even billions of people's lives as spread across. And the question is, a, is not just a local question, it's an international question. It's for every, every people. And it's also a question that's very individual. It's right to us in our heart. Oh God, we pray that your spirit, Lord, strives with us. That we will, we will find a way to say, I'm making my mind up. And I'm yielding my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord and as the Son of God. And I'm trusting Jesus. I'm confessing that I'm a sinner. And that, God, I've, I've fallen so short. And there's no way, Lord, if you look at my life, if you really knew me, there's no way I could ever be cleansed except by an act of God through His Son, Jesus. And so today, Lord, we just, we just lift our hearts to You and we pray that, God, you'll, you'll speak. Perhaps there's some here today who haven't accepted Christ and maybe they'll just take the stand today. Walk this aisle as a significance. I'm giving my heart to Jesus. Or I'm coming to Jesus. I'm committing my life to Him in a special way. Let's... Lord, as we pray, let's hear from your spirit to our heart as we sing in Jesus' name. Amen. Hymn number, we're going to change our hymn number to hymn number 321, I believe. 321, the Savior's waiting. Let's stand together as we sing. Hymn number 321. If God's speaking to your heart today, you know, one way of showing that is, is by just walking out before others and saying, today I want to receive Christ as my Savior. If you're willing to do that today, just take that first step. He'll, he'll put the skids on you after that, and you'll come right on. Amen? Let's, let's sing it together, Billy. Thank you.
and now 